to honor those that made it possible, in a sense, for, for me to be here. That list would be too long. It would go back to the beginning of time. What I do feel, though, is the place of lined up. I used to imagine, as humans, that we chose our place. I think that's a load of crap now. <laughs> I think our place chooses us. And if you imagine now for a single moment, what is the place that talks to your heart? What place has chosen you? This was the place that chose me. It's a kind of calling. And when you hear the heartbeat of a place, I don't mean it's beautiful and it's romantic and it's glorious. That's just a tiny part. I mean it's all there is with every single challenge that comes its way. That place grasps you. And to turn your back on it would be to turn your back on yourself. Then I want, with my heart, to acknowledge Strilly Oppenheimer, who 42 years ago, 42 years ago, that's how old Carl Jung says we are when we start our soul's work. She found a 17 and a half year old, skinny, not at all sure of anything except I'd heard this word Montessori and read a book that my sister gave me. And Strilly, I think, I think we can safely say that had it not been for her energy in its myriad and marvelous ways, Montessori would definitely not be what it is in South Africa today. It may be something else, but it wouldn't have been this. In my own place and along the way, I acknowledge so fully the giantess in many ways, Bokelwa Selema, that spoke to us yesterday. But here, my soul sisters, Naledi Mabiba, for mm, 20 years, next year, for Rose Fanika, who opened up our community and our hearts, same amount of time, to Colleen Erasmus, who's our newie of the block, she's only about seven years, I think, with us, and you met her yesterday, sitting with Naledi and who pioneered the zero to three class and went to London, who'd never been overseas in her life before, and pitched up to do the track. Okay, Eve, I'll go. <laughs> you hear her name every so often, and I think we'd actually need her to take a bow, which is Prue Ramsey, who is, I sometimes tease her as being Mrs. Montessori in South Africa. <laughs> so I think you need to stand up, dearest, and just... who's been, um, I think, maybe for 30 years, maybe more, longer than 30 years. And then our new friends who arrived, Lynn and Julia Ryan and Julia Hilson walking in the door, timing to perfect. And a, a teeny bit later, Andre Shearer and Nico and the IMI team. And I, I honor so much this extraordinary energy that's been able to land up here as we sit. And I thank, with the bottom of my heart, all of those people in different ways. So these truest friends and most reliable guides, their role was both simple and demanding. They had to go down deep into the seeds of time, into the dreams of their people, into the unconscious 
into the uncharted fears and bring shapes and moods back up into the light. They had to battle with monsters before they told us about them. They had to see clearly. They risked their sanity and their consciousness in the service of dreaming better futures. They risked madness or being unmoored in the wild realms of the interspaces or being devoured by the unexpected demons of the communal imagination. And I think that now, in our age, in the mid-ocean of our days, with certainties collapsing around us, and with no beliefs by which to steer our way through the dark descending nights ahead, I think that now we need those fictional old bards and fearless storytellers, those seers. We need their magic, their courage, their love, and their fire more than ever before. It is precisely in a fractured, broken age that we need mystery and a reawoken sense of wonder. We need them to be whole again. So I decided to do an experiment this morning, which is to read a piece of my own writing. I've never done that. I've done it with my mom, who's 92 recently, so if I start shouting because she's deaf, you must just tone me down, you must just tone me down a bit. And it was actually Faye that asked me to write something for the ESF journal. And when I tried to imagine reflecting on 21 years of my being in this valley, I thought that a way to tell you would be in pictures, but tell you about my own experience, and I got so bored that I thought I'd fall asleep while I was trying to do this. So I decided to read to you what I wrote for Faye and to ask you just to settle in and, and to listen and to see if you find yourself anywhere in the story. Because my sense is we need stories now that are starting to pitch up that are maybe around 5,000 years old. We don't need new stories. We need to find the myths and the legends of that which makes us who we are. And not to imagine that our children... I'll come to them in a minute, I think. So, I'm going to start. I arrive home after a long and absorbing trip. Several months I've spent in a foreign land, immersed in crafting and teaching a new master's program in ecology and spirituality, living through a dark northern winter filled with the icy beauty of snow, thick cloud and soft rain. The hills are softly curved, the moor anciently thick with stories. In a 13th century building, haunted by myths and ghosts of those long past, our topics hold me spellbound. When was it that formal religion attempted to throttle an inseparable link between spirituality and ecology? How did that happen? And how was the burning of witches over centuries inextricably bound with silencing that which is intuitive, beyond words, and feminine. How come Western rationality, logic, and a single way of knowing became all-powerful? And how did this way of knowing permeate colonization with a perpetration that has had diabolical consequences on all life on Earth? Where are the myths that connect us with our land? What mythologies seep into our bone memory? in what it might mean to be human, especially now, living at this time in the 21st century. Spring arrives in this beloved place and I come home. It's winter now in the Cape Winelands. 
Rain, in a time stricken by drought, brings a cacophony of blooming aloes, vibrant honeysuckles, iridescent sunbirds and rainbows. I find myself marveling at being alive, become pervious to place, the traditional healer says. Live close to the veil. What is it then that has called me home? When all is stripped, who is this I that seems to be me? Many have always known that our self is not an individualistic, atomized, disconnected myopia, but perhaps rather a multiverse, a plurality of being, or an ecological no-self, inseparable from cosmos, ancestry, earth, plants, animals, and other humans. As I pay attention to the simple everyday life in my village, there are some answers starting to emerge. Gazing at the full moon rising, I am struck as always by the staggering beauty of the backdrop. The range of mountains in the moonlight sinks into geological time. Underlying complex layers of undulating and intricate landscape shows glacial action from 400 million years ago. The mountains are home to rare and endemic mountain fangos within the approximately 1,300 diverse species occurring. Over 110 bird species have been recorded, and many animals, including the Cape Mountain zebra, remarkable earlunt, and elusive leopard, all in all, a myriad of magnificence and awe that is both nature reserve and world heritage site. And herein lies the twist, for the name of these ancient forms of earth life was designated by our Dutch colonizers, Hottentots Holland. In the soft light of the moon and under infinite stars, I imagine the people that lived in and around this area long before the colonial settlers. For sure, they would have been celebrating this full moon, drumming, dancing and singing. For the moon had special significance for these extraordinary indigenous nomadic pastoralists as a supreme spiritual being. The name taken by the Khoi Khoi for themselves means the real people or proper humans from Ku, meaning human being. The real people practice transhumans, literally across ground. And I imagine the great summer and winter migrations to higher or lower lands with their Nguni cattle, their great love, only slaughtered for very special occasions. Living in sync with nature was simply how it was. Houses had to be light enough to dismantle and carry, and all goods had to be simple enough to tie onto the backs of animals. No designer brand clothes, just leather that lasted. This, together with deep plant knowledge, complex family relationships, a profound respect for the invisibles, often accessed through trance dance, vital rituals around major transitions like birth, puberty, adulthood, midlife and death, created a rich and textured socio-ecological fabric. Endless stories told in a musical language made up of intricate consonant clicks provided a cultural and nature connectivity that rooted their children and community in ways of experiencing and knowing going far and beyond any single mode of knowledge. The Khoi Khoi were the first to encounter the Dutch colonizers in this mid-17th century. Unable to follow their complex oral language, the colonizers reduced the name of the Khoi Khoi to Hottentots, a simplistic, crude term that as the Dutch farmers laid claim to land that was hitherto seen as communal by the Khoi Khoi, underpinned their exploitation of both nature and indigenous peoples alike. The ensuing violent dispossession of land 
and extermination and enslavement of the Khoi Khoi is well documented. Despite often heroic resistance, a worldview and ways of connected living were brutally eradicated, creating continued slavery and a foundation for the later emerging apartheid, South Africa's notorious system of rationalist, institutionalized racial segregation implemented through brute force and authoritarianism. So the Hottentots Holland name of these majestic mountains you see in the distance is a daily reminder of a context steeped in loss, suppression and exploitation. It is said though that only mountains are old enough to know. These mountains would have known the lightness of being of the Khoi Khoi. They would have felt the ponderous ox wagons in the trek of the colonial settlers into the hinterland. They would have imperturbably gone on through around 300 years of destruction of indigenous humanity and felt the drain of monoculture agriculture, individualistic land ownership, a modernizing world in which celebrations of the moon, water, life transitions and nature itself had little place. The mountains may only just now start paying attention to a tiny spot in a nearby valley called Leindock because it is here where there is emerging a response to centuries of oppression, wrapped in the challenges of South Africa's 24-year-old democracy. As I sit writing this in my home, in Leindock Eco Village, I realize it is 21 years since I encountered this valley with its beauty, dark histories, and shimmering flickers of hope in its post-apartheid newness. I imagine the Khoi Khoi, ancestors of this land encountering our village, they would surely be bemused at the first mixed-income ecological village in South Africa. I imagined exciting nods, excited nods of interested approval at a buzzy child-centered way of life, where a Montessori infant center and a three to six class with 75 mainly farm worker children has pride of place. Serving the poorest of the poor in our valley means two meals a day, for the most part prepared by the children themselves. Most days include the children walking through the village, playing in the woodlands, and vegetable gardening in a section of the village designated in perpetuity for indigenous gardens. The Khoi Khoi elders might see as obvious the thousand trees and countless shrubs planted in the last two decades. The main building, home to an independent community primary school and university degree in sustainable development, is now almost hidden from the road by the extraordinary growth in vegetation, the youth are busy. My family and friend fund Leindock United, three football teams. It's a simple strategy, creating ways of helping boys, of helping grow boys to men, run by men, must be core to the crisis in masculinity that produces dramatic violence against women, including rape and very, very high violent crime. It seems to me that our ancestors of place might be amazed too about the ecological technologies used for village infrastructure. Solar water geysers, photovoltaics, 100% of water recycling, building materials ranging from sandbags and adobe to recycled brick from the landfill. While the technologies themselves would be new and fascinating, they would intuitively recognize as obvious the principles of using sunlight for energy, or carrying for scarce water. After all, they might have carried theirs in a cleaned out ostrich egg, or using what already existed as resources for building. From an egalitarian social structure, 
with deep roots in relational reciprocity, it may take some careful explanation for the Khoi Khoi to comprehend the significance of the mixed income village. South Africa is the most unequal country in the world in terms of the gap income between rich and poor. Conventionally, places of living are still delineated along racial lines, where the majority of the poor live in informal settlements without easy access to work, employment and good schools. Lyndock Eco Village began with homeowners of the lowest incomes without access to housing. These homeowners have now paid off their loans, own their homes, have their children in a wonderful Montessori preschool or independent community primary school, and pay the village levies that they can afford. Their middle class neighbors voted to pay more than double in levies to ensure that the village has enough income to provide the communal infrastructure required for smooth operational maintenance. Used to collectively built temporary homes made of natural vegetation that could easily be transported. The Khoi Khoi would surely be astonished at the 140 square meter size of the houses and the fact that they are individually owned. For us, this was vital. People who had been prevented from owning homes and land from the iniquitous systems of the past needed surety that they would never be forcibly removed and that their home would be their legacy for generations to come. Set at the bottom of the village near the horizontal wetland recycling all our water is the Waste Recycling Center. Energetic and well organized, I feel sure there would be unanimous disapproval amongst the Khoi Khoi at the amount of plastics, non-recyclable waste and general throwaway culture that we are all systemically tied to in our supermarket shopping. There would be sorrow too at the endemic alcoholism that influences our young men and women from surrounding farms. The DOP system, where farm workers were paid a portion of their wages in tots of alcohol, has long been outlawed. But the intergenerational alcohol dependency with frequent accompanying violence takes its toll heavily in our area. Massive unemployment, a nationwide crisis, exacerbates this. The Landau Eco Village homeowners have chosen now to gather around creating allotments in the community vegetable garden. In addition to this, a new project is to be the recording of oral histories of those who have been in our community longest. The stories of land, village and people need to be told and recorded for our children's children. From a culture of rich and textured orality, the Khoi Khoi would know this as intrinsic to what it means to be human. In many ways, the privilege of an invitation to participate in a place with all the accompanying and unfolding challenges means simply showing up. Radical activism that puts the poor, children, learning and land first means different ways of being and knowing. It meant too, trusting in healing. The inevitable pitfalls and our systemic connection with South Africa's huge challenges are ever present. It is the smallest interactions in everyday life though that make this place home Participating in a community where the poorest children from surrounding farms run to their Montessori school in joy creates a strange nexus between the Khoi Khoi of old and a future in the making. It seems to be forging imprints into times to come that are simply different. Complex and transformative learning, key to the co-founding of the Sustainability Institute within the Lyndock Eco Village, means inseparable bonds between land, other than human life, a small local village, and a labyrinth of personal transformations, creating place for experience and studies in ecology, community, and spirit. 
has meant bringing other ways of learning into formal university accredited courses. It has meant providing particularly for younger people a sense of coming home to meet their yearning for meaning in a sometimes insane world. And as I contemplate the last 21 years, I'm reminded of Dr. Montessori's words, establishing lasting peace is the work of education. All politics can do is keep us out of war.